As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Bet that you don't want none. If you want some, come and get some. 500, let's lock it in on the next one. Greedy for it, I roll it out. BTE builds products that you can depend on, whether it's a complete power glide transmission, a torque converter for your specific combination, or any related component or bolt-on item. The professionals at BTE and Memphis Performance have what you need to succeed. Shop online at bteracing.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. Welcome back or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss the strip teaser and big wheelies. We said wheelies. Stay tuned for that. Jed, how are you, sir? Oh, Luke, I couldn't be better. Life is good. Uh, getting the race, man. Things are going crazy at work. And uh, me and my family and friends are safe and well. Um, I really don't think it gets much better than this. Yeah, same here. The uh, the local climate where we live, uh, there's been a, a bit of an outbreak. And uh, so, so the atmosphere here is... Uh, is much more tense than it has been in recent times. So that's not a lot of fun, but uh, personally, yeah, doing great. Family's doing great. Uh, we also went racing last weekend, probably had the best time that we've had racing in a long time. Um, so that was a plus. Um, and we've got a big show on tap today. Yeah. Um, not a ton of breaking news, not a ton of big events over the course of the last week, but we've still got plenty to talk about. On the NHRI side, Jed, We'll touch base on the, the JEG Speed Week in Columbus, as well as a double divisional out west in Sonoma. And the, the success of those two races, I guess, um, 
contradicted to or juxtaposed to um, the this feeling that NHRA is still in a pretty precarious spot. You know, as those races are going on, other events are being canceled. The future seems very much up in the air. At least the the immediate future seems up in the air. So we'll talk about that. Uh, on the bracket side, a couple of big announcements. Um, the the Great American Million at Memphis, close to selling out. We'll touch on that. Uh, AJ Ash and SFG Promotions have parted ways. We touch on that briefly. Uh, and a couple of big events uh, over the weekend. I was at Bowling Green for the 10G at BG. Talk a little bit about that, as well as uh, big dollar events at Texas and Maryland. And then uh, we stick around to the end because we, we have a little bit of fun. Do you, do you want to tease it out, Jed? Oh, yeah. We, we've got our top five, our, our standard top five that we've been trying to do. Uh, Luke and I have come up with this week the top five reasons I didn't go racing. Now, it's not always what the reason that he and I didn't go racing, but I'll wrap it up on my side with reasons that I didn't go racing, and they're pretty dang good, Luke. <laughs> if you do say so yourself. Yeah, I think uh... – it started off as why people don't go racing, and about midway through, we realized that we're projecting. It's why we didn't go racing. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be good. It's going to be a great show. Keep listening. It's going to be awesome. But first, PJ North. Jed, let's start on the NHRA scene. The Jags Speed Week, Columbus, Ohio National Trail Raceway, seems to have been an overwhelming success, which I guess was predictable because it seems like anything that Woody and Jags, <laughs> honestly, National Trail Raceway, uh, under, under new ownership at least, get behind, it, it seems to be successful. This was certainly that. Uh, attendance topped out at close to 700 cars. For, I know it was a sports national, but essentially an NHRA division race. That's Huge a huge number, number, Luke. And who wouldn't want Woody working on their team? I mean, the guy did a phenomenal job of, of helping promote this and get people excited about it. And even during the event, uh, excellent job on behalf of the, the team at JEGS and, and certainly Scott Woodruff for his efforts. But uh, another huge event, whether it's bracket, NHRA or whatever, um, but this one was quite impressive. Um, there were people from all over the place that made their way to Columbus. I did hear this. The, this isn't verified, but I, I, I think I heard it from a pretty reliable source that every, each of the seven NHRA divisions were represented in Columbus. That's pretty cool. Wow. I did not know that, but I knew there were some travelers. I didn't realize that, though. That's cool. Pop quiz for you, Jed. And uh, and this is this is very subjective. But if we remove... Hunter Patton from the mix, right? Just, just Hunter, Hunter's 2020 doesn't apply. We remove Hunter Hat Patton from the mix. Who is having the best season in sportsman drag racing in 2020? Well, Luke, that's, that's easy because it's in front of me. I don't, I really don't want to spoil it, but you knew I wasn't smart enough to figure this out on my own. So you guys put it in the show notes, but uh, our boy Bertozzi is uh, off to a great start. I think you could make the argument for Anthony Bertozzi. Let's forget anything that he's accomplished by the wheel. You'll remember from uh, the Steve Sisko interview following the SFG 1.1 million. 
Anthony profited mightily from Anthony was the car owner, right? That was a very good day for Anthony Bertozzi, uh, a man who is, who is very used to having very good days, right? He's had an season behind the wheel himself, uh, and, and that got uh, icing on the cake, I guess, or, or, or pushed a little bit further in the right direction in Columbus. Anthony runnered up in the, uh, the divisional event to start the weekend in top drag, runnered up to reigning NHRA world champion Danny Nelson, and then Anthony came back in the JEG Sports Nationals and claimed the trophy for the top dragster victory. In addition, uh, John LaBouche Jr. drives another Anthony Bertozzi on car. Uh, I believe he was semis in the divisional and super gas, then runner up the national and super comp. Um, so yet another strong weekend for uh, Anthony Bertozzi, and, and I guess you would say Anthony Bertozzi racing. Uh, interesting note, Anthony now. Uh, it was his 24th, I believe, NHRA national event win to, to add to, I don't even know if you could count the number of IHRA national event victories uh, for Anthony. But an interesting side note, this was his fifth, yes, fifth JEG Sports Nationals triumph, which makes him the winningest competitor ever at the JEG Sports Nationals. Interesting side note, in the final round of Top Dragster, Anthony squared off with Mike Coughlin, at coming into the final, they had each won the JEG Sports Nationals on four different occasions. Also, race is not only for the right to hoist the trophy, also for bragging rights to essentially claim the top tier position as the winningest driver ever at the Sports Nationals. That nod, at least for the next year, goes to Anthony Bertozzi. Antoine's got it going on, don't he? I mean, you think, how many people, I know how many, has won have ever won a few hundred thousand dollars at the racetrack and didn't even show up. Uh, and then you go, when you do show up, you win everything in sight. And you talked about his 24 national event wins. He's got probably near that. I know it's not quite that many IHRA championships, almost as many championships as he's got NHRA wins and both of them's a bunch. So Good to be Anthony Bertozzi, and the guy makes steak like nobody I've ever seen. I mean, he can cook a freaking steak. So, Antoine, good to be you, brother. It's a project because I'm sure Anthony Bertozzi has his struggles in life from time to time, like like most of us. It's just hard to visualize him from this end. Yeah. It feels like he's got it rolling, right? It's not possible, Luke. It's not possible. <laughs> he might have tripped and fell once in his life. That's about the worst thing that ever happened to him. Okay. Yeah. Fair. Um, another big winner from the weekend, Mark Smith, uh, super street racer from Bowling Green, Kentucky. Mark basically duplicated Anthony's performance, but in the 1090 K. Mark Smith runner up in the division race on Friday and then came back to win the sports nationals on what ended up finishing on Monday morning. So kudos to Mark Smith. I believe that's his first national event. Uh, Wally Mark had a, an excellent 2019 season as well. Uh, Got off to a real hot start in NHRA Division Three competition, I think was in three finals at the first three events, and then ended up finishing second in, in Division Three Super Street points. But he is he's kicking off uh, this abbreviated 2020 campaign in much the same way. So kudos to him as well. On the other side of the country, Jed, double divisional in Sonoma, California. Um, and this was a, a race that that we weren't always positive was even going to take place. And another race that seemed to be from the outside, at least 
extremely successful. I, I saw 400 plus entries. And for that part of the country, especially right now, especially considering that, as we've talked about before, you cannot have any Canadian involvement, essentially, right? Because the Canadians cannot cross the border. That hurts Division Six a bunch, but in Northern California, that impacts that, that race a little bit as well. Um, good turnout, uh, as you as expected, uh, given Kyle Seipel and the uh, the Sonoma staff. Uh, all reports that I saw were it was an excellent, well-run event. Um, on the actual racetrack, not a whole lot to report. Like it was a double divisional. Um, no driver made multiple finals, so no no big moves points wise. No huge story, at least that I'm aware of. Um, with a couple of things that jumped off the page to me, Ryan Mangus, runner up in Supercomp. If you'll remember back before the the pandemic kind of shut down racing, I think it was in February, Mangus doubled up at the divisional in Tucson, I believe, winning stock and Supercomp. So he's actually putting together a really solid Supercomp score. This runner up moves him into the top 10 nationally. I think most of us think of Ryan Mangus as a, as a bottom bulb expert. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's proven his versatility certainly over the course of the last calendar year and, and now this year uh, specifically in Supercom. Yeah, Mangus, great driver. Obviously, uh, I think most well known for hitting the bottom, like you said, Luke, but uh, just one of those guys with a lot of talent and uh, adaptability to whatever he's willing at the time and it's showing in his results. So good for Mangus moving into the top 10. Just uh, hope through his uh, successes that they don't put a hot mic in front of him because I made that mistake. Uh, one time at Vegas, and you know, you gotta be careful. Our our buddy Mangus just says what's on his mind. So, <laughs> subject to let one slip, huh? Yeah, yeah, he might let uh, a couple of them go, but nonetheless, he's a great racer. Love well, him. Come on the pod. Come come on the pod. We, <laughs> yeah, we can have explicit lyrics. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say Cisco said what was on his mind. So he did, and it was it was. I love it. It was awesome. One other thing of note, uh, the Torres family. It seems like we talk about them about every time that we cover a Division 7 event. Uh, another big week for them. Uh, and, and I think Sonoma is, is one track that has been particularly good, specifically to Val Sr. It seems like he wins a lot there. Uh, he collected another Wally in race two in Supergas. And uh, his son Gabe was runner-up in race one in Supercomp. So another big weekend for uh, the Torres family. And the other thing that stood out to me, Big Jed, I just wanted to include this. I don't know that it necessarily is relevant or has bearing on much of anything. Yes, it is. Yeah, I, we're on the same page. <laughs> Top runner-up, race one, Bernie Plourd. Big burn, getting it done, going to the final round and top dragster. That's awesome. Uh, you know, it, Bernie, Bernie is just a – an older version of Brad, you know, he's just kind of, yeah, you know, I think I'll go, you know, six twenties this weekend and a quarter mile and see how that works out for me and, or whatever he was running. Who knows? I don't know how fast he was going, but jumping in the top dragster and, and going to the final round, this, this guy raced pretty much anything like his son. So great for burn. Love it, man. That's a, that's a really cool guy out there. I had been around Bernie a couple of times through Brad, right? So, so it met Bernie, knew Bernie. I went to the Winter Nationals. This would have been in 2013. And it's the Winter Nationals, Jed. Like, everybody there is is fired up, locked in, and probably taking racing way too seriously. Like, we're coming out of the gates, right? Everybody's in. Bernie Plourd is there, parked a couple of down from me, with 
a Vega that I think he bought like three weeks prior, had never been down the racetrack, barely passed tech, wasn't sure it would run 990, was entered in super gas, didn't have a throttle stop, went like 977 on the time run and was just ecstatic that it was fast enough to, to be, you know, have a, have a prayer. I think had the transmission out of it at one point prior to first round, like complete wheels off train wreck. And that dude had more fun than anyone there. That's Bernie. <laughs> Bernie. And, and, and I mean, you can see a lot of that filters down to Brad. I mean, obviously Brad is extremely competitive in what he does, but that just kind of take it as it comes attitude that he, he got that honest. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's, you're right. That's uh they're spitting images. <laughs> so congrats to Bernie that, that probably made me smile as much as anything I saw personally over the weekend. So we just kind of take a, a back, a helicopter view of these two uber successful events on, on the NHRA side on opposite sides of the country. Um, and I think both were successful in their own right for different reasons. Columbus being, you know, one of the most well-attended events of that nature anywhere in a long time. And Sonoma, the, the attendance figures don't necessarily match up. But again, for that area in this time, given all that's working against it, I think it's hard to say that that race was not a success. So the takeaway is that there are NHRA events happening. And those races that do happen are successful, like they're doing fine. And yet, in the very same week, in the same news cycle, essentially, we learned that the first two NHRA national events on the you know, new schedule, Denver and Brainerd, have been postponed, not officially canceled yet, postponed. At Brainerd, it, there was a divisional event, basically in conjunction with the national event, divisional leading up to the national, the divisional canceled. Division one events at ATCO and New Media canceled. Again, all of this in the same news cycle. There was a double divisional event slated for Indy in two weeks. That now becomes the site of a, of a quasi-national event. And one of those division races goes by the wayside. It's supposed to be a single divisional leading into a national. We think, like there's no, there's not really been, from the sportsman side, there hasn't been any de details disclosed yet which is probably to be expected because i figure on on some level that's still a, a fluid situation it just feels it's odd it's bizarre as as races are going on and successful it still feels as though the nhra season both from a professional side and from the sportsman side is in a in a precarious spot it, it seems week to week at best yeah, it does, Luke. It's it's very odd situation. Obviously, starting to look like you know as many national events as they can hold at Indy, they're going to hold at Indy and have as much fun as they can. But you know, I would imagine a corporate run organization like that trying to get all these all this racing coordinated within the, the guidelines that uh, are being set differently across the country it, it's it has to be a monumental challenge and you know you can understand how difficult it, it appears so they're doing all they can bless their heart they're trying nhra is giving it everything they got and you know what they are able to hold looks very successful and people want to race and, and i know they want them to race but 
uh, it has to be so challenging the the stuff they're having to deal with and and try to overcome right now to get some racing in so i know it don't look like much to everybody and everybody's wanting to see more and more racing but uh, hats off to them because they're they're giving it everything they got yeah i agree i have no doubt that that they are doing everything in their power and it there's just so many unknowns and it's it's difficult to i guess put forth a because it looks like you really got your act together when you can roll out a plan but there's no real sense in rolling out a plan when everything is subject to change and i think that's kind of that right it's uh it's interesting because just take it on the pro side like who on earth knows what happens next? Like it feels very much at the national event level week to week. Like I don't think it's crazy to think that the entire 2020 professional season could be contested at Indy. And even it, even that seems relatively fluid, like laws in Indiana or mandates in Indiana seem to be changing as well. So who knows if they can even continue doing what they're doing or if it improves, like, I just don't think there's anything set in stone or really anything that you can maybe depend on. At least that's the impression that I get. And then on the sportsman side, to this point, essentially every, each of the seven geographic divisions have been directly impacted with the exception to this point of division two, because division two got a lot of racing in before any of this hit and then has had one or two more races recently basically gone on uh, as scheduled outside of that um division four has gotten most of their stuff in but one race has been moved around considerably and, and they're pretty dependent on races happening at the end the other divisions has been very um hit and miss you know uh, it it's just it's interesting to think about what the completion of the season could look like because obviously it's it's a it's a one-off. It's a, it's, it's something that we've never dealt with before, but how do, how is, if you're just going to project into the future, how does the national championship work? Like how does the point system even work originally for years to crown an NHRA world champion? They take your best three national events out of the first six that you attend combined with your best five divisionals of the first eight that you attend. When the schedule got, uh, condensed and, and rearranged NHRA came out and said okay this year instead of making it your best three of six we make it your best three of five so you have to go to one last national event and instead of your best five of eight we're gonna make it your best five of seven divisional events essentially where the the points total should look similar to years past you're just not going to have as many events to throw away uh, you have to do better when you go now again essentially every division has lost at least an event there are a few divisions that will only have assuming everything goes off as planned only get four races in i think that's where division three is at right now it's just um i it's hard for me to imagine and again you can't predict the future and where all of this is going to go it's difficult to envision a scenario in which a racer outside of division two division four accumulates enough points to really compete for a national championship so i'm not saying that like there's an asterisk on this year's champion whoever wins it is going to earn it but i don't i unless something changes dramatically i don't feel like it is a national championship 
Yeah, I understand that thought completely. And, you know, obviously if you can't get in enough races to even make your claims, it's it's going to be rather difficult for you to compete for a quote-unquote national championship. And even if you have a dream season within your division outside of two and four, um, still not going to be good enough, most likely. So, uh, like you said, I hope it's a one-off. I hope it's uh, hope this is the only time we ever have to deal with this or, or struggle through these situations. So, because uh, you know, you still don't know what 2021 holds. I know we don't need to be thinking ahead, but 2020, um, I thought there was light at the end of the tunnel. That light seemingly is is getting dimmer instead of brighter. And uh, 2021 season would typically start in late January. So that's not that far from now really so um not not real sure that we'll see the same scenarios play out in 2021 that we have in 2020 because hopefully someone at some point has just decided we'll we'll go back at it but 2021 still could have its share of challenges yeah i hate to be the downer but it does feel like i don't know this changes from week to week it feels like it's trending in that direction let's let's I don't know if 180 is the right term, but let's spin this around like positive vibes only the rest of the show. We got some fun on tap. I think it's safe to say that, I don't know if it's fair to say the direction of bracket racing, but the current state of bracket racing seems far more optimistic than the current state of NHRA competition. Yeah. um, First and foremost, as we, as we switch into the big dollar bracket race uh, realm, the Memphis Million, the, the Great American Guaranteed Million, which has obviously been pushed back from its original date, Memorial Day, now to the second weekend in October. We had said a month or two ago that this would be sold out by the next time that we talked about it. At last check-in, there are 18 entries remaining in the big show. So perhaps by the time you hear this, it's sold out. Like it's getting very, very close. And I think it's going to, as it gets closer, be very, very difficult to find a spot in this race. Yeah, obviously um, getting a lot of traction right now and, and which we knew would happen as it uh, got closer to the event date. Um, you know, as we sit here, what are we about 10 weeks or so, I guess, from, from the race happening. So. Wow. I mean, yeah, you're right. 18 entries left, 10 weeks. Yeah, these things are going to move rapidly, and um, it's a, you know, it's going to pay a million bucks. So, if you are listening to this and there are still some left, if you're thinking about it, you want to get in, look, take the chance. Go ahead, get your entry. I assure you, if you can't make it the week before the race, there will be, I'm going to guesstimate, 173 Facebook posts minimum anybody know of any entries to the guaranteed million so your entry will be easily transferred to someone get your money back but if you're thinking about doing it don't mess around go ahead make the investment and secure your spot whether you think you can make it right now or not 173 is the number huh 173 i I may have underestimated it at that but 173 is what i'm going with um I don't, I don't want to be charged with counting them, Luke. So if you know someone that's interested in counting them for us to verify that, please uh, get them involved. Let us know. Let us know. Come on the pod. Um, <laughs> staying in that realm, obviously the two 
guaranteed millions this season are, are this one, uh, the Memphis Million, and the SFG 1.1 million that obviously happened a few weeks back. News from SFG this week. Uh, they released a, a statement, a press release, I guess, saying that AJ Ash and SFG have parted ways. Uh, thoughts on that, Jed? Well, uh, obviously had some thoughts, but I wanted to get it straight from the, the man's mouth himself. Uh, actually did it through text, but I, I texted a little with AJ and asked him, was there anything that he wanted to say about uh, this separation that, that he wanted us to, to make known on the podcast? Uh, you know, just wanted to represent him in his voice. And he, uh, he said, no, everything's cool. Uh, it was a, it was a, a nice parting of ways. And he said that, he just felt like it was time for him to to move on uh coming off of uh, what was you know from the outside looking in a very successful 1.1 million dollar race seemed to run really well obviously AJ being the race director uh took a lot of pride in in how the program ran start to finish and it did look like it went really really well so i would say he did his job very well and it being the highest paying race in history AJ felt like, you know, it's probably not going to get much better than this. He really wants to get back to his racing program and concentrate on that with the money that's out there today and available to the racer uh, at SFG events and many others as well. So AJ said it was just time. Uh, those guys, uh, he, he wished them well. And I saw in the press release, they wish him well. And everybody played really nice and said goodbye. And AJ's moving on, get back to his race racing program so it uh, it seemed kind of quiet and easy for him that's good and i and it my impression as you said is that it's just a, a mutual decision on good terms um as a racer <clears throat> i think this is a bad thing for two different reasons <laughs> number one the sfg brand is is strong like <clears throat> it's not like this is going to be the death nail of sfg that they'll survive they'll do fine but i think it is fair if not obvious to say that aj brought a lot to that program and made it better and 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 they'll struggle to replace what he brought to it uh we've notably uh and and playfully given aj a, a hard time at times on this podcast a lot of that i will say i feel like was taken out of context because the point of a lot of that was saying that aj's position specifically within sfg is a thankless one to where you just, as a racer, AJ's a racer's racer. And he is the guy that you see at the head of the staging lanes. Like he's for the racers, at least the face of SFG. I know Kyle Riley is the face of SFG, but um, so when things go wrong, AJ's the guy that you go complain to. And AJ's the scapegoat for all of it, right? Any, right. Anything that isn't perfect, just blame it on AJ. That, that's, that was kind of the running joke. And I, and I know a lot of people took that out of context. The point is, it is really good in that role. And he brought a lot to the table. And I do think that SFG is, is going to struggle to replace that, right? And from a very personal standpoint, AJ is, is leaving that post to focus all of his energy on racing. As someone who just delved into the, the door car side of the big dollar bracket racing scene, this is not good news. I don't need AJ all in. <laughs> That's just not the thing I need in my life. So, yeah, it's bad news all the way around. Yeah, we don't need to see the Grand Slam in the lanes any more than we see it already. So, um, it, 
obviously a very talented racer and, and makes great runs and we'll get his share when he hits the scene again. But I agree on, on all fronts, Luke, um, not going to be easy to replace. Um, you, you need a, you need a guy in today's bracket racing scene. You need someone that can think like a racer that understands what the racers want, not just because they communicate it with you, but because you just know from having spent, uh, hundreds of thousands of hours seemingly in the lanes yourself. So um, AJ's experience and knowledge was very helpful to the SFG program. It was obvious. And, you know, that's, again, like you said, not going to be very easy to replace. And then having him in the lanes, I know how difficult it is to try to, to get the, the wind light in your lane when he's in the other lane. So I uh, hate it for all of us that AJ's going to be out there racing more. But look forward to seeing him. Hopefully, um, you know, I know these things can be stressful. These events can be stressful. So hopefully he's uh, kind of gets back to the old AJ, just kind of loosey-goosey out there in the lanes having fun and, and doing his thing. And I'm sure um, we'll get to see him share the winner's circle with someone quite a bit in the near future. A couple of big events on the bracket side over the past weekend. No, no mega events, no SFG 1.1 millions, no 500 granders. Um, but a couple that we wanted to touch on the, we'll go to Bowling Green first, Jed, mainly because I was there. Um, the 10G at BG, the event formerly known as the 10 Tuck series, the, the, the format is a little bit different, but 10 Tuck's been going on for three plus decades, uh, recently switched over. <laughs> this was a massive turnout, Jed. I, I know that you've heard, um, 400 plus entries in, uh, in Saturday's event. Um, over 300 every uh, day of the event and the way that that race is structured at 300 plus there are no buybacks so we had no buybacks for three consecutive days which is essentially the old 10 tuck format so it was kind of like uh, going back in time there it was fun and the no buybacks just made it manageable to where even though there's a it felt like a million cars there. It was still done at a reasonable hour each evening, even with some rain on Friday. So kudos to to Brock and Dallas and, and that staff at, at Bowling Green for pushing everything through. I will say the the 400 car figure is a bit overwhelming, but also a touch deceiving. You could double same car, same driver, which is not uncommon. What's a little bit unique to this event was that there was no cap on entries. Like it wasn't as though a car or a driver could only go down the track twice in round one. So it's almost like there was a re-entry because if you lost, you could go buy another tech card. And if you lost again and you felt so determined, you could go buy another tech card. <laughs> like, <laughs> <for a> while. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, the, there was a lot of cars there that the 400 isn't completely accurate, but I think it's fair to say with normal doubles, every race exceeded 300, which is, the biggest turnout that that event and really i think any of the you know the 10 tuck variety events save for possibly their thanksgiving race i think that one normally gets a very big turnout um outside of that this is the best crowd that has happened there in a decade or more i, I feel fairly confident in saying that and it just kind of goes to show that that's where we're at not universally not across the board but in big dollar bracket racing right now, as odd as it is to say, because I know that the, this pandemic and the, and the situation that, that our country and our world is in has had tremendous negative effects on many. 
Um, but for big dollar bracket racing promoters, racetracks, those that are able to operate uh, and, and kind of go about business as usual, as odd as it is to say, in a lot of ways, this situation is the perfect storm for these types of events. Like it's, it's simple, I guess, to some extent, supply and demand because there just aren't as many racetracks and, and events available to run. So the supply is, is diminished. The demand is as strong as ever. Um, you've got a field of customers who don't seem to be overly concerned about the virus. Like we want to get out and go racing and do what we love. Um, and then that this venue, big dollar bracket racing in general has always been more accommodating, right? From the racetrack and promotion standpoint, like not necessarily the hammering home, all of the safety rules necessarily, or, or rules in general, like just more like if you want to come race, we'll figure it out. Right. That, that's always been big dollar bracket racing, at least in our part of the country. Um, and then you combine that with the idea that at least for our segment of the economy, like the, 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 the racing market, the big dollar bracket racing market, particularly the economy is strong and there's money to be spent. And the races that are able to happen by and large are very well attended. And this, this one being a, a, a case in point. Yeah. Like we we've got a fun topic coming up at the end of the show uh and so this fits it perfectly it was arguably the hottest weekend of the year so you know miserable hot um was hot. yeah you you have um there's double entries allowed and as you said you can you know if if you if you kept going out you could keep going back and buying that tech card and so yeah, someone could have found every reason they wanted, let's say, to to not go, but all they did was find reasons to go, which again says a lot about where our our uh, mindset is right now for for big dollar bracket racing. And and you know these are ten granders by all means. This season isn't even isn't even considered, I guess, quote unquote big. It's big to me. If I win ten grand, believe me, that's unbelievable, huge to me. But uh, in today's world, it's it's um, it's a smaller purse for what is available to these racers. So these racers could have found every reason they wanted not to go to Bowling Green, yet they showed up in very, very large numbers. So um says a lot about where we are right now, as you mentioned, and, you know, uh, hopefully that continues on for the rest of the year for the promoters that have found a way to stick it out and continue to build events and put uh, put their neck on the line for you know hopes of great turnouts um I, i'm certainly heavily invested in that as well but I, I hope that continues i hope we continue to see these large crowds throughout the year because this fall it's going to get full and it's going to get expensive luke um <laughs> and uh really? we're gonna we're gonna know where we're at uh, about november 1st yes yes that's it's well put um since we since we discussed uh, the, the logistics of Bowling Green, I think it's rightful to, uh, to at least mention the, uh, those that came out on top of that 400-plus car field. And to your point, Jed, specific to Bowling Green, um, I don't think you could have asked for much worse of a forecast. If it wasn't going to be a heat index of 110, it would be raining. That was pretty obvious. <laughs> yeah. Not good. Yeah, and still just uh, jam-packed. So winners from the event, the three $10,000 uh, winners, Jesse Bobo, Erica Baker, Rusty Fox, kudos to them. 
They were not, as you well know, Jed, the star of the show. The star of the weekend, at least in my opinion, was your good friend, Larry Martin. Larry Martin showed up and showed out. Team Alabama, uh, semifinalist in Friday's 10-grander, runner-up in Saturday's 10-grander. I really felt like there was only one place to go. I thought, what are we even doing here Sunday? Larry's going to win. There's just one more round. <laughs> Larry said the heck with that. He went home, didn't, didn't even show his face on Sunday. Yeah, no, he gave up. He, he threw the, the white flag up and uh, come on to the house. But, yeah, great to see my, my awesome, great, longtime friend, Larry Stacker Martin, uh, that he's got a brand-new, for, for the most part, race car that he took a great race car, cut it into pieces, completely rebuilt it front to back, top to bottom. And I know you looked at it, Luke. I know you're very proud of your Vega, and your Vega is unbelievably nice and awesome and beautiful. Uh, if there's one that could match the quality, it would be Stacker Martin's uh, Camaro. That is one beautiful piece. He has struggled to get it dialed in. Um, it was basically new front to back, but he's worked extremely hard on it and very proud to see that uh, he's got that handled and straightened out. It sounded like the car was really good in that rough heat up there, and, and he, he drove it extremely well. Uh, unfortunately, you got to see that firsthand, but I did, um, but uh, really proud for Larry. Uh, he he was he deserves that. He's he's worked hard for it, and uh, I'm sure we're going to see plenty more out of him now that he's got her dialed in. Yeah, no question. And uh, you know, I can give him a hard time about taking off and not sticking around for Sunday. But we had talked about it Saturday night. Friday's race, I think we got through third round, and uh, and they pulled the plug and finished it Saturday morning. Obviously, he went on to semifinal. That he was double entered. I think Saturday alone. He said he made 18 or 19 runs. And again, uh, it was like 96 degrees with, I literally, I don't think I've ever seen this before. Once the sun went down, my weather station, when you looked at humidity, the percent was gone because it didn't have enough room. It just read 100. <laughs> he ran out of room. <laughs> well, I don't know what the heat index was. I didn't want to know, but the sun went down and it got hotter. So, <laughs> so, I can just see climbing in any door car 19 plus times in that. Um, yeah, I'd be over it for Sunday too. And, uh, and to your point, he performed, Larry performed flawlessly as the car did, uh, especially after that rigorous day. So kudos to him. Uh, in addition to the, the individual performances, uh, part of the, the 10G at BG <clears throat> for this year, Dregger Solutions is, is behind this, or is at least uh, sponsoring it. There's a team race. Uh, you basically have your, your team of five, uh, it's a $500 entry per team. <clears throat> the team that amasses the most wind lights over the three days takes home the, the 100% of the entry fees. Pretty cool format. It honestly wasn't as, uh, as highly participated in as I would have expected. Out of those 400 plus entries, I think there was only eight teams that signed up, which seemed a little bit surprising. They were pushing it pretty good too. But I, stuff like that's fun. Like it just adds a little bit of the, the bracket finals element, you know, where you're, you're rooting for your buddies and you're in this together and, I enjoy that. Um, so newsflash, uh, this was an event that Hunter, Hunter Patton was in attendance and Hunter Patton wasn't in a final, but Hunter did not get shut out. Hunter's team won the, uh, the team championship that was uh, team white trash racing. That was Hunter, Mikey Bloomfield, Brandon Taylor, Will Holloman, Bryson Scrubs. So I thought that was worth mentioning as well. Uh, hmm. TR wins the, uh, the, the team championship at Bowling Green. Yeah, a couple of those guys must know somebody behind the scenes at WTR helping get that sponsorship. So that was cool. <laughs> they were able to get WTR involved. <laughs> nice. Nice. 
Uh, our buddy uh, Cody Pollage came back to Texas Motorplex with one of his signature events over the weekend as well. Um, <clears throat> big winners there, Corey Galitti on day one, Chris Jones on day two, runner-ups, uh, familiar names as well, Austin Williams of, of NHRA fame. Austin uh, let go on the top and more lights came down after that. That had to be weird, but he proved that he could do that as well. Uh, Runner-up in his dragster. And it's about time for Austin to get hot because as we record, uh, the, the NHRA double divisional in Topeka is going on. That's essentially any race at Topeka is the Austin Williams benefit race. So I'm sure that Austin will, will use this uh, bracket racing success to, to catapult him into victory yet again at Topeka. That, that seems to be uh, um, inevitable at this point. Uh, Chris Jones, $15,000 win over Brandon Cowsey. Uh, the no box, big class of the day, Brian Chapman over Zach Martinez. And Cameron Fulfer won a day on no box as well think we covered everything there. Cool story uh, that got shared with us on the weekend from David Bird-Jones. Uh, Jed, you want to take that one? Yeah, uh, Bird, um, very well-known guy, uh, very well-liked, um, showed why that he's very well-liked. Um, he was running Peeps Pennington, and Peeps was having some trouble with the hot rod, uh, couldn't get it going. They were basically next pair to go out. Um, Bird said, you know, I want to give him as much time as it takes. So why don't we just pull over to the side instead of me putting him on the two minute clock? Uh, I know he's not going to be able to get there. Let's pull over to the side and wait as long as, as the round goes, if that's what it takes to, to let him get his stuff going. And he waited a while. Peeps was able to get the car going and then went out on the racetrack and Peeps got by him. So just showed, uh, you know, I, you always want to see the guy that waits get the win. Um, not that you pull for anybody, but you just want to see that sportsmanship pay off. But birds come up, bird come up a little short there to Peeps, but was still willing to wait. And the, the coolest part of that, Luke, is I, I think Peeps had put a, like a, a perfect run or near perfect run on him uh, previously in the the race with the other entry, and Bird. No, he knows Peeps well, knows what Peeps is capable of. Got to see it firsthand uh, with an L previously in the run and then still decided to wait for him to let him get his stuff going and, and take a shot at him again where Peeps got around him again. So good stuff for Bird. He loves good sportsmanship stories, and especially when, you know, a guy had the opportunity to just say, no, sorry, bud, it's 15 grand and, uh, and I get a freebie here, but he wouldn't take it. So good for Bird. Yeah, and at that point, I don't even think if you peeps, you could be upset about him. No, no. You know what I mean? It, it gets to a point, but yeah, uh, kudos to Bird. Um, could could you do that? Dude, forget that it's peeps. Forget that you've got a, a, a prior relationship. Dude just laid you down nothing. His stuff's tore up. Now he's going to swap cars. It's a, do, do you, are you as good a man as Bird Jones? Would you just say, look, man, I'm going to stage? Because I think you can make an argument either way. Yeah, I probably say, Peach, man, that sucks. You can't get your car going. Um, when I get back from this run, you know, let's. I'll get over there and see if I can help you uh, figure it out. So maybe you can race again tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate the transparency, Jed. Um, no, dude. <laughs> so I go on way back to I'm probably ten years old. I think I kept up with who my father raced more so than my father did. Right. Yeah, 
you can attest to this. I think JJ has got a lot of the, the, the same in him, right? So my dad loses whatever second, third round one week at Kennedale to a guy by the name of Don Heath. And I think it was 63 Chevy two. And the very next week, we are like, we live three miles from the track. So I don't even think we were going to the racetrack. I think we were coming home from the parts store or something to get it, the car in the trailer and go to the track because it's right off of 287. And lo and behold, there's Don Heath. This is, you know, everybody had a open trailer. So it was no denying that this was Don Heath, right? <laughs> on the highway. And my dad just immediately pulled over and asked what he could do to help him. And I remember him getting back in the car and I'm like, dad, that guy beat you last week. He's like, yeah, but he's a racer. Like, we're going to help him. Oh, okay. And I'll just never forget that day because that, to me, exemplifies kind of what our sport's all about. And and Bird is taking that to the umpteenth, you know, exponential level uh, here. It's funny because, like, there's, there's two ways to look at this. And I'll share this story not to – this just because it's entertaining and because this is the opposite end of the spectrum. And I don't share this to shed a negative light on the people involved. It's just funny, like the, the, the competitive nature versus the, the sportsmanship aspect and, and how they all, they intermingle for all of us to some extent. But uh, Roger Martin was telling me a story. That's Nathan Martin's father, um, who I, I grew up working for Nathan, known Roger all my life. <clears throat> this was just recently where I race in Huntsville and Roger's waxing poetic about the old times. And uh, you go back to this is probably late seventies, early eighties, Cedar Creek dragway. Right. And Rogers, I believe it was his brother was in charge. He was the VHT man, right? You'd had, you had your Dawn bottle full of VHT. You'd scored a little bit under each tire. Your driver would pull up into it, spin the tires. Like that's how it worked. Right. Oh yeah. So Rogers brother is, is not there. So he doesn't have his crew man. And, um, so He's waiting in the staging lanes at, at Cedar Creek and old man Richardson runs. Scotty Richardson is probably seven, eight years old, according to the way that Roger tells the story. Right. And Scotty comes running off with the VHT bottle and Roger stops him and says, Hey, Scotty, I'm about four pairs out. Um, my brother's not here. Like, would you mind coming up there with me and squirting some VHT? And this is Roger tells me seven year old Scotty Richardson looks him right in the eye and goes, do you not realize that we're here to whoop you? And it's off with the VHT bottle. <laughs> I was thinking when we pulled off on the side of the highway at 10 years old, my dad checked. No, 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 that's not how we do this. So it's, like I say, entertaining story. <laughs> yeah, I hear an inspirational story there about Bird and then the one about your late great father. Uh, makes me almost want to retract my statement, but unfortunately Peeps was involved, so I can't let myself believe I would have waited on him. I might have waited on somebody else, but no, nah, not Peeps. <laughs> uh, another big dollar event up uh, on the East Coast, Cecil County Dragway. This was a, an event from uh, Fetch and yes, JP, sir. right? Uh, Anthony Fetch, JP Pescarello. Um, they have been doing this event, I think since 2007, it's went through some, some changes somewhat, but, uh, wildly successful the last couple of years, this year included, um, Jim Harrington, um, Memorial race. It used to be the Jim Harrington foot brake race and they've switched it up now lately and, and invited super pro as well. And just a, a great event there at Cecil County where they've got their elite pro 42. So. 
they've got their 42 pro guys that get involved and I think the winner slides over and races with the super pro but uh, Saturday Tim Foskey Jr. got the win there on the bottom and when the 20k main event was settled red hot Jeff Taylor got it done Jeff um, coming off a great um, spring fling event at Galat and collecting the $20,000 payday there at Cecil County. So good for Jeff. Great to see that out of him. They had a 64 car shootout, Luke, where Robbie Hamilton collected the win there. The uh, Saturday no box gamblers race that they put on top of everything else was won by uh, the always awesome Marty Fleckle Jr. Uh, Marty probably driving his S10 or his dad's beautiful Chevy 2 there, cracking them on the bottom, which is uh, nothing uncommon. And speaking of nothing uncommon on the bottom to, to get a win, Sunday's Elite Pro 42 winner was Steve Van Cranist, another very talented uh, superstar bottom bulber from that part of the country. And uh, Sunday's 20K main event winner was Bob Kalibsky. Saw Bob at the Spring Fling a lot as well. So good for Bob collecting a $20,000 payday to wrap up the weekend. But good job by fetching JP as always. Those guys uh, put on a great event. They know how to run things. And uh, Cecil County is a great venue. So looked like everything went extremely well. One other note from the weekend before we get into some fun stuff. Uh, the Glenn Smith event in Montgomery was essentially the McCarty show, the way that I understand it. Bug McCarty, $5,000 winner uh, on the top no box runner up in the same day and i believe it was a day prior his young son trip five thousand dollar winner as well so uh, congrats to the mccarty's on a what looks like a pretty dominating performance down in your neck of the woods jed yeah team mccarty gets it done um those guys cracked them pretty good toby barnes was the other no box winner there when uh, when bug got the, the runner up so um the, the McCarty family had an extremely good outing trip, uh, got by his mom, Carol, there very late in the race, maybe quarterfinals or semifinals on his way to that 5k win. So a uh, young man getting it done at Montgomery is nothing new, Luke. It is old news at this point, but, um, young trip got a bright, bright future ahead of him. Uh, good to see him get his first uh, good win in the big cars and uh, great to see our buddy bug do well. So, Nice work there in Montgomery, but Luke, now we're we're to the we're to the fun side. Well, I say fun side, the the, the fun part of the show, most funnest or more funnest, more goodest, more funner. This was not an easy top five to do. I mean, it was easy because you could give the ones that you always hear. I worked hard on this list, Luke. I don't know what yours looks like, but <laughs> I'm pretty excited about mine. I'm confident that you've trumped me. I, I'm proud of mine, and I and at the same time, when you list your top five, I'm I think I'm going to look at my list and 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 be upset with myself. Um, mine's going to suck. So, but that's good. This is this is absolutely your wheelhouse. Before we jump into it, let's pay a couple of bills. We're on a couple of ads here, and then we'll get into this week's top five. Jed and I are proud to partner with Bill Taylor Enterprises. That's BTE here within the podcast. Neither of us, Jed or myself, are strangers to BTE products, services, or customer service. I've personally been using BTE transmissions and converters exclusively since 1998. Um, that's 20 years. BTE has quite literally powered every race, every championship, every round that I've won for my entire adult life. My point, they build products that I depend on. 
BTE builds products that Jed depends on. BTE builds products that you can depend on. Whether it's a complete top dragster or, or top sportsman power glide transmission, a torque converter designed for your specific combination, or any transmission component or bolt-on item, the folks at BTE and Memphis Performance have what you need to succeed in today's ultra-competitive world of sportsman drag racing. Shop online at BTE Racing. Today's show is also brought to you by ThisIsBracketRacing.com. If you are ready to take your on-track game to the next level, we've got the resources that can help. Visit ThisIsBracketRacing.com today. In addition to resources designed to help you on the racetrack, you can find a lot of cool stuff on ThisIsBracketRacing.com, including every episode of this podcast. So wherever it is that you're listening, just know that these are also available on ThisIsBracketRacing.com. All right, Luke, as we mentioned there going to break, um, we've got another top five, another fun top five to wrap up today's show and you know i'll be honest and you'll be honest i'm sure with the listener and we we're kind of we're kind of reaching right now making sure that we can find a good fun topic to talk about and um this week we come up with the top five reasons i didn't go racing now we hear all the normal ones you know the whatever and i don't want to so i'm not going to spoil your list i don't but i don't want to give anything away but we we hear this every week, those of us that race regular. We hear it every week why somebody didn't go racing. And some of my list is why somebody didn't go racing. But to wrap up my list is going to be why I didn't go racing. Oh, I that's what I ask. I'm like, is this the, the common excuses that we hear? Or is this why we personally threw in the towel? So, so it's a little bit of both. I, I've, some of both. But uh, I wanted to wrap it up with my own experiences. <laughs> like I like to do. Okay. So, because I don't know. Is, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Like, I, I'm like, yeah, this idiot didn't want to go racing, you know, for this reason. But there is a shade of, like, I think I've used every excuse on my list, too. Oh, no doubt. <laughs> no doubt. I have. But I've got a couple of pretty good ones to wrap this thing up. So, why don't we just go, I don't know uh, what you call it. You've got a fancy name for how we go down the list, but I think we just bounce back and forth. Go ahead and give me your number five, and then I will do the same, and we'll get to number one. Uh, okay, together. so I, my number five, um, to just to condense, is the, the forecast sucks, right? It could be in, in any which direction. Like, it, it's going to rain. There's no doubt it's going to rain, right? Yeah. Look yeah. at the forecast. It's going to rain. Or... Uh, my personal favorite is, my God, it's going to be so freaking hot. Okay. <laughs> Those people, right? And, and I've been like, man, I don't want to get out there. It's going to be miserable. Um, I don't know if you're aware, but drag racing actually can't really happen in the winter. Like, it's a summer sport. Yeah. So if you are going to commit to drag racing, guess what? You're going to do it when it's hot outside. <laughs> Most likely. <laughs> if you um, because it's 90 degrees or 100 degrees or whatever. Um, my point is, you just didn't really want to go racing. You can just say that. You can. That's a really good point, Luke. So that's and, my related in general. And the, the, the rain in the forecast thing is always funny because there, there's always rain in the forecast. Like Whether it's 80%, 20%, you don't know until you get there. I've been to plenty of races that the forecast looked awesome and they got rained out. 
I've been to plenty of races where there was zero chance of racing for three days and you got them all in. Like, yeah. if it's a race you want to go to, you just, you just got to go. It's a forecast, not a guarantee. So um, just yes. take your chances sometimes. But I'm with you. We, we look at these races we're going to and the forecast looks terrible the whole week and we'd give anything for that forecast to be bright and sunny. And at that point you're going, I don't care how hot it is, as long as it's dry. But then when you get there and it's really hot and really dry, you complain about that too. Or <laughs> when you see that coming, you don't want to go because of it. So what do you want, racers? What do we want? I, I we, like your number five, Luke. We go back to three months ago. Man, just give me a race with 800 cars and 110. <laughs> yeah. And no, you'll be out there bitching about it. That's what <laughs> My number five is very common. Uh, I hear it all the time, and unfortunately, I've I've heard it in places where I didn't want to be hearing it. But um, number five is I ain't going to that race. The track's junk. Okay, so anytime I'm at a racetrack, I have my troubles from time to time. I'll slip the tires or whatever because I. I get confident that my car will go down a dirt road and I get somewhere and it don't, and it's frustrating. But I always, before I go chew on the, the people that's running the track or the promoter, whoever, I like to go to the fence and say, is there anybody running a similar ET to me that's going down this racetrack? And if there is, then maybe, just maybe, I need to work on my stuff. So if I'm having trouble at a racetrack, I try not to avoid it next week. I try to get my car to go down it because I figure if I can go down the quote-unquote junk track, I can go down any track. So I love to hear the track is junk. I ain't going, but that is not a great excuse not to go. Spoken like a true promoter. <laughs> Wasn't it? Yeah, I've... Yeah, 14 years ago, you wouldn't. I would have been like, you know, I ain't going. That track's junk. Can't go down it. It's terrible. I don't know. If my stuff won't go down it, you can't. It's not get downable. It's awful. <laughs> Could not possibly be my fault. That's exactly right. That's so what a, you got number four, Luke? I'll actually get to that. It's on my list, too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> number four, me. Um, I'm going to get a little bit political here. I'm probably going to get some hate mail about this. Uh, I'm not going because you have to wear a mask. Okay. Oh. We're seeing more and more of this. Uh, it's not particularly commonplace in, in our world in, in beer dollar bracket racing. It sounds like just about anywhere you go, uh, NHRA wise, a mask is going to be a requirement. Um, I just, I don't, I don't get it to be completely honest. I realize it's a, it's a, it's a pain. But by and large, like I talked to several racers who were at Sonoma last week. I've talked to several racers who were at Topeka today. And they're like, yeah, it's an inconvenience, but it's not as big a deal as you might think. And just the, those of us out there that are dead set and saying, like, I ain't going anywhere where I got to wear a mask. Like, I just, I feel like by and large, you are, you are choosing to kind of impair yourself. Like, I think the writing is on the wall. Perhaps I'm wrong. Who knows what the, the future looks like? But I think to live in our country, like for the next, I don't know, six months, two years, who knows? I think more of our lives outside of our homes are going to be masked than not masked. And if you just get this in your head, like I ain't wearing a mask, like, okay, you're just not going to be able to do things that you love to do. So again, I, I think it kind of comes down to my weather thing. Like ultimately, 
if that's the deciding factor, I, I think it's a race that you just didn't want to go to. And it's okay to say that. Yeah, I think you're right. As I mentioned, I've went through every emotion on this mass thing, but if it's somewhere I want to go, just like today when I went to Gustus uh, fried chicken, um, I want to go and they make you wear a mask till you get sit down. So I'm going to wear a mask because I love Gus's fried chicken. So if I want to go to your race and you're going to make me wear a mask, I mean, wear a helmet. You're in the funnest part of the race. So what's the big deal? Wear a mask where you want me to wear a mask. If I want to be there, I'm wearing a mask. So I don't like that excuse either. Luke. Good one for number four. Number four. Number f- Sorry. Sorry, I just talked all over you. Number four for you. My number four is, and you know, we're certainly starting to hear this more and more, but it's every year you hear it in, in pieces, but I ain't going to that race. Too many people are cheating. And that is something that people feel, but I don't think even this, all this cheating talk that you always hear about, I don't think anybody's proven any of it yet. There's speculation, and some of it's probably warranted. But for the most part, nobody has proven that anybody's cheating, much less too many people are cheating. So for those people that are saying, I ain't going because too many people are cheating, well, they didn't want to go anyway, Luke. They, they'll sit at home without a mask and worry about people cheating. But cheating is happening in any form of competition at any given time. I'm not naive to that. But too many people ain't cheating at the bracket races for you to go race. So quit saying it. I agree. I think it is, uh, while there may, may, perhaps I'm naive, I've said all of that before, right? right? But I do think that more often than not, the implication of cheating comes about because it is far easier to justify our own lack of success on the idea that others have advantages that we don't have. It's far easier to do that than look in the mirror and say, you know, <laughs> they might be good at what they do. <laughs> um, so yeah. yeah, didn't make my list, but it should have. That didn't make my list because it, I, I didn't think of it. So that, that's a good one. That was, that was number four, right? That was number four. Okay, so number three for me, I'm gonna get really personal here just because it's, it's kind of a fun story. So number three is I didn't go to the race because I had a, family function, family reunion, birthday, whatever. Okay, so the reason I bring this up, went to a race a couple years back, um, big race, right? And I actually, with the intention of I'm going to race Friday and Saturday, and then my, my oldest son was with me. We were going to hightail home for Sunday because uh, essentially my, my youngest son was a couple weeks old, and it was like, it's, well, I guess it's not a birthday party. It was like a birth party, right? And, but somehow I finagled my way. I'm like, well, that's Sunday. I can go race Friday and Saturday, right? Yes. So I got the blessing to do that. We go racing. And uh, so we, we hightail home for, for Sunday. Well, as it turns out, I was in the final the first day on Friday. And then uh, I didn't do much good Saturday. And, and we hightailed out of there and got home for the party. And I never heard any, you know, like a couple of friends give me a hard time. Like, ah, yeah, you, know, you got to go home. You know, family things. And that. Yes. Yes, it is actually. That's Yes. And I'm, I'm happy to be here for the two days. Well, it comes up a, a good friend of mine. Uh, we go to the same race recently. And a good friend of mine says, hey, you know, a couple of years ago, you came to race and you left. And I thought, what a dick. He comes in here, takes all of our 
He's got to go home for a freaking birthday. Like he's just better than everybody, right? And uh, I was like, that, that really wasn't it at all. He says, no, the reason I told you that story is because they had a race here two weeks ago and I won the first day. And then I went home because it was my wife's birthday the next day. And he said, and I thought about you all the way home because I thought I dog cussed that guy under my breath. And here I am doing the exact same thing. This guy just comes in here, takes our money and leaves. You know, doesn't even run today. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who hadn't had to skip a race for a family function? I mean, we've all had to do that. So that's a, a legitimate, very good, solid excuse. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Your family enough to go to a function? I'm in. I mean, I am the guy. I didn't go to senior prom because there was a 50 grander. I went racing. So times change, right? Perspective changes. But yeah, I, I agree. I think that's more often than not a, a very valid reason for, for skipping. Yeah. Well, this one, my number three, I see quite often on, uh, on Facebook and, and, you know, any kind of social media discussion. But I, I, don't, I don't like it. Uh, I'm in favor of whatever it takes to make big enough crowds to have really big races and pay a lot of money. But I ain't going that race because they allow double entries. And you can't beat them racers, them good racers, twice. Well, okay. So if you want to stay home, stay home. But to not go because they allow double entries, they don't make you double enter when you get there. So it's not costing you any more, any more money. If, it, if there are enough double entries that you create an additional round, if it was going to be an eight rounder, now it's a nine rounder, your odds went from one and eight to one and nine. So it didn't change your odds very much. Uh, you still only have to beat the racer beside you. As it turns out, if the great racers are double entered, they do not make you pair with them on purpose. You only have to beat the racer in the other lane. So just go race the person in the other lane, beat them, and you're good. Um, but I just hate to hear that I ain't going to that race because they allow double entries because I know if you're saying it and they put on a really big single entry race that looks great and they have to raise the entry fee because of it so they can pay the money that you want them to pay, you're going to say, I ain't going that race. It costs too damn much. So those of you that won't go because of double entries, then I guess just stay home. It's funny you say that Jed because it didn't quite make the cut on my list but when I was brainstorming I actually had the complete juxtaposition I'm not going to that race because I can't double enter and or there's not buybacks there's like there's a segment of racers that you just don't feel like if you you don't feel like you've been there unless you can max out the tab <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. the, <laughs> I want as many opportunities as I can to mess this up exactly it works both ways. Uh, <laughs> okay, so number two for me, I won't spend too much time on because it was on your list. Number two for me was I'm not going because the track sucks, right? Can't get down it. Um, traction's awful. I just feel like we live in this world, in, in, in bracket racing in general and specific to big dollar racing, we're so spoiled. Like everything, every bit of technology that has been introduced really in the two decades since I started doing this, it makes our job easier, like makes everything perfect from, from crosstalk to auto start to track conditions to you name it, right? Everything has, has obviously made the field, there's more parity, it makes the racing tighter, but it, it 
in some regards makes our job easier. And when any of that is, uh, doesn't check off the perfect box, we whine like babies. Like it's amazing. So yeah. personally, I kind of like it when there's a variable. Like I'm not saying go make your racetrack unsafe, but I like it way better when it's just like really hard to go load that on every single run. Like I've had a lot of success at say Atlanta, notoriously not the greatest traction facility in the world. Like I like that. <laughs> oh yeah, driver's race. Yes, and I just the, there's this growing contingent because um, like we're so spoiled that I think a lot of the the newer and or younger racers like this is all they know is everything being completely in line, and I we I know you and I Jed we come from a time where you had to you had to be a little bit more creative you know and and I love the point that you made earlier of like what's well, obviously the racetrack right I can't go down the track. But you look, you kind of scratch your head and be like, well, wait, that guy's like two tenths faster than me with the same combination. And he keeps going dead on and winning. That should make you think, right? Yeah. Maybe I should ease by his pit and ask him a couple of settings. Maybe. So, Luke, now I'm down to my final two. And these two I have actually used myself. And they're, they're both kind of odd. I doubt you've got them on your list. So number two for me, <clears throat> about three years ago, uh, you saw it firsthand. I was having a bit of a wheelie issue. And it had gotten summertime, so I went to the Jake Summer Door Car Shootout where it's good and hot, and I've been racing in the heat, so I was fine. You know, the, the power was down just a little. I'd, I'd be just fine. Well, she uh, she reared up pretty good there at the I-57 drag strip. Uh, turns out some tracks just known for their wheelies for whatever reason. Well, come back home and it's kind of hot and muggy and no wheelie problem. Get to the million in Montgomery and a little bit of a problem, but it was manageable. But late in the year at a race, I was having trouble keeping her on the ground. So what did I do all winter to fix my problem? Absolutely nothing. Just exactly what you said. I'm like, you know what? Next year it'll be fine. I'll just leave it in the basement all winter, not touch it. And it should be just fine next year. So it come about late February, early March. There was a race coming up in Huntsville that I wanted to go to. And it turned off where it was, you know, the high was going to be like 49 degrees, no humidity, just mine shaft air. And I was pretty jacked, you know, because I was thinking I might go like 572 or 571. And I, then I, the, the week of. I'm looking at the forecast. I'm like, crap, I can't even go to this race. My wheelies are too big. And just in case you misunderstood what I said, I said my wheelies are too big. Just so you didn't misunderstand what I said, Luke, or anybody misunderstand what I said. I skipped a race, a good race, because my car pops wheelies. Yeah, exactly. I didn't go to a very good race in my home state, 90 miles away, because my car pops wheelies, and I was too dumb to fix it in a four-month stretch. Okay, let's suppose that too, Jed, because I love it. Great reason. Um, 
recently, uh, I, I've been relatively candid about some of the struggles that I've had with my Vega. I think we've really rounded the corner in the last week. But um, for the three weeks prior to that, I, I, had, I was doing some testing. I had broken some parts. I made some changes on the car, and it wouldn't do a wheelie. Like, it was boring. And it was slow. I'd slowed it down two tenths. It wouldn't leave. And um, I refused to go to the racetrack until I got it back to form. And basically, I didn't go because it wouldn't do a wheelie. <laughs> so we've been on both ends of the spectrum. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I mean, how stupid is that? <laughs> I wouldn't go because of the car pops wheelies. I couldn't go. I was going to die, Luke. <laughs> so that's my number two. Let's hear your main reason now. See, this is where I, I just get run off the off the course, off the racetrack, because I, I'm I'm sticking with the common stuff. Like I don't I don't have anything near as good as my car does too big a wheelie. So my number one reason is I'm not going, particularly this big dollar race, because the payback sucks. If you don't make the final, you'll make anything. Jed, I don't know <laughs> doing this. Um if you don't make the final. It hasn't changed in, in 30 plus years with few exception. If you don't make the final or at the bigger races, if you don't make the split, you are not going to cover your tab. The way that, that's the way that it's always been. You can flip the numbers around any way that you want to flip the numbers around. It is rare exception that you can make money, like come out in the green on the weekend by going rounds. It just doesn't work that way. So there are some races that pay back better than others. And I understand like that should be a part of the decision-making process, but by and large, um, we kind of know what we signed up for. There's going to be a handful of people that leave really happy and everyone else is going to at best break even or lose money. That's just kind of the way it works. It hasn't changed. Pretty much that's dead on. Um, you know, and the problem is you, you go in rounds and you're, that $10,000 prize sitting out there or whatever it is, is, is getting closer to you with every wind light. So you're, you're starting to let yourself believe that's the kind of, you know, change you're going to put in your pocket at the end of the night. And then when you win the $300 for going out of the quarterfinals or something, you're just, you're completely destroyed. And I, you didn't, you didn't even cover the day's, you know, tab. Absolutely. And I've seen a number of races and promoters attempt over the years to distribute that more evenly. So instead of a, say a $10,000 to win race, it's 5,000 to win, but it's 3,500 to runner up and it's two grand a semi and the payback's awesome. And almost without fail, racers have never supported those events. It's like we look at the entry fee and what it pays to win and that's it. That's all that matters. You're at. And that is a very common excuse. I'm not going to say that that's the right or the wrong way, but that's just kind of the way it is. And you, I, I think we just, you have to get used to it. Like if you're not going to go to a race, like this is a common theme in, in my, uh, in my list. If you're not going because the payback sucks, you just didn't really want to go to that race. I agree. Just another reason you really didn't want to go, but you had to come up with something. All right, look, so number one on my list is again, uh, one that, Personally, I have experienced and um, chose not to go to the racetrack because of it. Now, I will say that is a long time ago, Big Jed. And I don't know how long a long time ago is, maybe anything more than about 
when we started this podcast, but um, it's a, it's a re- very poor reason not to go to a race. And and this is not this is not represent the views and opinions of the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. And it is not the way I feel today. So make sure everyone understands that before I say what I'm about to say. But it is the reason that I, the number one reason that I have skipped a race that is the same reason why I don't go to a lot of family reunions, a lot of birthday parties, a lot of weddings, same excuse. I'm not going to that race because they'll make me wear pants. (laughs) Now that doesn't sound very good. So I think people understand I'm talking about long pants. Has Big Jed suited up in the race car in shorts? Yes, I have. I've been the dummy, done it many times. Can't swear I won't do it again. But I would never skip a race again because they make me wear pants. But I have skipped multiple good races in my prior years and weddings and family reunions and birthday parties for the same reason because sometimes I just don't like to wear pants and that's my number one reason fair enough fair enough no proper safety equipment in general yeah I uh, I think I fall victim of the same thing not particularly proud of it at this point in life but yeah I've been the same way like I ain't going there they're actually gonna make me like wear everything and <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, I, I'm with you there. Another one that I that I actually thought of uh, as we came into this, um, I think it, it probably, at least in my experience, um, pertains a little bit more to our female audience. But but I think it, it resonates a little bit with everyone. I, I'm not going because the the bathroom facilities are not up to snuff. Oh. Oh yeah, that is a very good reason not to go. believe me if you've ever needed them and i would i would tell you a story about going to quaker city uh many many years ago (laughs) let me tell you something it wasn't pretty and it was 90 plus degrees and well you know what (laughs) i've got a couple of stories boy i wish i could tell these stories but i can't there was one from my 57 drag strip (laughs) You know, a few years ago, they didn't have the little air conditioning bathroom house there that we bring in for the big events. It was all porta potty all the time for a while. Yes, it was all porta potty all the time. But Big Jed found him a house trailer on the property. Had no idea whose it was. Ended up having a a, a kind of a rainy uh, evening meeting with you in that in that house later that evening. But earlier in the day, I defaced that place. And had no idea whose place it was. Knocked on the door, no, didn't get an answer. And I said, okay, that's all I needed. I went in, Luke. I was <laughs> sitting in that porta potty. It was too damn hot. And there was been a couple people there in front of me. And I wasn't doing it. I was either about to get in the truck and go to a gas station, or I was going in that house over there. And I went in that house. But anyway, I told way more of that story than I needed to. <laughs> It's a very good reason not to partic- not to pick a particular ven- venue or event. So whoever come up with that reason, I support it. 
It was an honorable mention on my list, but it absolutely should have made the list. It should have made the list. And I wish, I wish that I had put it on my list. <laughs> I got stories. <laughs> so from outhouses to pants. <laughs> to, uh, <laughs> to really big wheelies. Big wheelies, yes. We, we've covered the gamut. Um, this is a subject that we have not yet breached on the Sports and Drag Racing Podcast, Jed. I'm glad that we got to it today. Yeah, me too. I am glad, but uh, much like probably our listeners uh, are glad this is over. This is bringing us to a close, Luke. It was a, it was a fun show. A lot of good stuff in the show. Love the top five. Can't wait to do another one, but uh, that's going to wrap us up here on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I want to thank our great sponsors for helping bring the show to you, support them each and every opportunity you get, and uh, you know certainly uh, reach out to them and pick their products and services as a thank you for helping bring this show to you. And Luke, I don't know if you've been building shouts, but uh, it is that time in the show that we all can't wait for and that we love. Absolutely. Uh, abbreviated version. Shouts to Bernie Floyd. Shouts to Anthony Bertozzi. Uh, shouts to AJ. We, we've, we've had our fun with AJ, um, but this... Like I say, as I said before, I think uh, I think this is going to ultimately hurt SFG. Probably not detrimentally, but they were better with him. And um, from a social aspect, I would love to have AJ back in the lanes. From a competitive aspect, I could do without seeing the Grand Slam. Um, shouts to AJ. Shouts, of course, Big Jed. To well, shouts to White to, to WTR and um, oh yeah, and to uh, to that team for getting in with WTR. That was good stuff. Yeah. Shouts to wheelies, long pants, and outhouses. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and sometimes big wheelies uh, cause you to remove your long pants and go to the outhouse. So those things can all tie together. So they all deserve to shout back to back to back like that. Very well done. <laughs> it all comes uh, full circle. Yes, it does. Uh, and lastly, Luke, uh, we should have mentioned this in the show, but shout out to Cowboy. I don't know if you got to see the story on Cowboy from the Eastern Conference bracket finals, uh, the junior finals. I just got bits and pieces. Yeah, l l take us down this road. So Cowboy 70, oh, I think 75, uh, out there doing his thing at the Eastern Conference bracket finals for the junior dragsters. Uh, it got moved to Charlotte from Bristol because the NASCAR having the all-star race at the facility and they can't co-run those. So they moved it to Charlotte, um, regulations in North Carolina and uh, the area that Charlotte is in was going to require Cowboy to wear a mask. Um, Cowboy 75 years old. You don't tell a lot of 75 year olds what to do, Luke, uh, especially those that um, are, are, let's just say a little stubborn sometimes. And, and I love Cowboy but I get it. Um, so he checks all the junior racers at the Eastern Conference Final, has done this for years. When they're about to move on to the racetrack, checks their arm restraints, checks to make sure they have their safety equipment, um, and gives them a little, just a little dap, little fist dap, each racer. I mean each racer, and there are hundreds of these racers at these events. And he's standing out there in the heat on his 75-year-old feet, doing his thing for the love of it. it. I assure you it's not for the money. It's for the love of it. And he was one of our unsung heroes at the racetrack that we discussed in an earlier episode. So 
Um, the racers are wearing helmets and gloves, Luke. The children are. The parents are wearing masks. Everyone's protected. Cowboy just said, you know what, I'm not going to wear a mask. So he's out there doing his thing, and they, they come to him and told him, you're going to have to wear this mask, or you're not going to be able to do this. It is absolutely mandatory and required. And Cowboy did something that broke his heart and many other hearts, but he had to take a stand in what he believed was right, and he left. He told him, if that's the way it's got to be, then I'm going to have to, to leave the event. And he left the Eastern Conference Finals for the first time, and I don't even know how many years. And uh, it was a sad, sad thing, but shout out to him for, for standing his ground. Um, I think I know Cowboy well enough to know that if he felt like there was any danger in the situation he was in, the exact situation he was in right there, if there was any danger that he was presenting to the children, the parents, or anyone else, that he would have done whatever he could to make sure he protected them. But it just didn't, it wasn't a dangerous situation. They were wearing gloves, every competitor, and a helmet as he gave them the fist bump. And they just, they, they were hard set on making him do it. And he said, no, I'm not going to do it. So he left. So I want to give a shout out to him. doesn't matter where you think he was right or wrong. The man stood his ground. He, he stood up for what he believed in and parted ways with him at the event. So good for you, cowboy. I, uh, I support you, brother. Wait, what? Did you say cowboy is 75 years old? 75. Yeah. I'm 39. That dude is in better shape than I am. I never would have guessed I was 75 years old. Very difficult job, especially in the summertime. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Like, regardless of where you stand on the issue, just the, the willingness to, to dig in and stand up for what you believe in, uh, that's impressive. And especially in, to do something that – to walk away from something that I know he really wanted to be a part of. Um, yes. So, yeah, shouts, shouts to Cowboy for sure. All right, guys. Well, that wraps us up in style. Um, be sure to message us right there on the uh, Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. Uh, send us a message. Tell us what you like about the show, what you don't like, what you need to hear more of. Throw us some top five uh, suggestions out there. Luke and I are uh, loving these things, and um, we've got a few in the bank that, that we could use, but maybe somebody's got a, a fresher idea, something we hadn't thought of. So drop us a top five suggestion that you'd like to hear on a future show and um, just reach out to us and, and let us know what you're thinking about what's happening here on the, on the podcast. We're, we're having a good time and a lot of great topics, but uh, we're always open to, to hear more of what our listeners want to hear more of, or even less of if we're talking too much about something. Uh, and if you're Twitter kind of people, you can tweet either Luke or myself. He is at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I, and I am at JP11X. We'd love to hear from you there as well. Blow us up. Tell us what's going on out there. We appreciate you listening. Thanks for sticking with us, and we look forward to talking to you really soon about more Sportsman Drag Race. It's all that we know. It's the way you lie. Give all that we got. Ride at a time. Do whatever we got to do. We never know if it's our one last ride. If you want some, come and get some. Cause I'll be willing.
Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries. There's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.